Hi, before anyone says anything, I know. He said I'm good and I said how are you twice. And yeah, I know. I know. Don't you don't need to tell me about it. Yup, this is a bad habit. Anyways, enjoy the podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Dan from Dapper Media. Today, we are joined by none other than UFC pioneer Dean Thomas. How are you doing today, Dean? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. This is an excellent episode for me. I'm so excited to have you on. And I mean, just to get right into it, I mean, how are you? I'm good. I've been traveling a lot, so um, it's been tough, man. Like, because I've been, I was in Abu Dhabi for a month. Prior to that, I was in Vegas, and now I'm back in Vegas. And in between, I was, like, in Philly and Reading, PA. So, like, it's been tough, man. I've been traveling a lot. I don't even know what time it is. Yeah, I mean, you're in Vegas right now. And I imagine after Abu Dhabi getting readjusted to that time zone, it got to be a little bit tough. Yeah. So, I mean, because I went from, like, Abu Dhabi. And I was also in Mexico. I was in Mexico and then, like I said, Philly and then back in Florida. So, like, in fact, I woke up in the middle of the night last night and didn't know where I was. I was, like... It took me like 20 minutes to figure out that I was in Vegas. Damn, man. Yes. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Fight Island. You just came off Fight Island. You did record Dana White's looking for a fight. Just kind of run us through that Fight Island experience. Obviously, you were with your fighter, Jillian Robertson, out there. She fought. She got the win. She was victorious. I mean, just run us through the feelings there. Oh, man, it was it was great. It's a great experience. Like, they really took care of everybody there. I mean, I and I was blessed enough to have some special privilege being with Dana like that, you know, being so close to Dana and the, the higher up. So like I had probably a different experience than some of the other guys, but I was out there also for a month. There, I know there were some guys who was out there for a long time as well, but you know, I had a really good experience. Like the staff in Abu Dhabi was top shelf. They were the best. Um, and it was just a really good time, man. Like to get away and to be surrounded by the fight culture and that was cool. So, like, the first week, we filmed Dana White looking for a fight. Then the second week, I filmed uh, The Dean Diaries. That's also on YouTube. The UFC, uh, it's on the U- UFC's page, The Dean Diaries. And then the next two weeks, I just focused on Jillian Robertson. And uh, and that turned out to be, you know, well worth it. She got the win. And, and it was a good, good experience, good trip. And it made the ride, that 15-hour ride coming home, not so bad. Definitely. And I mean, the first time around for Abu Dhabi, obviously an unfortunate situation. You got diagnosed with COVID. Just kind of, I mean, that situation just kind of run us through that where having to stay at the hotel and just making sure you were quarantining and such. Yeah, it was bananas, man. Like like I said, like the UFC's done such a good job of taking every necessary measure to make sure the people are safe. So um, you, even even now, like before you even come to Vegas, you got to be tested. So, like, you got to be tested even before you get to Vegas. Then when you get to Vegas, you get tested again. Then you quarantine until your results come back. So, I mean, it's a, a pretty lengthy process. So, back in July, I they weren't doing the pretest, And I don't know if I would have had it in the pretest anyway. But I got to Vegas and I tested and it came back positive. So, I couldn't go to Fight Island. So, I had to stay in the room, man. It, I had to stay in the room for 12 days. Couldn't leave the room. And, um, I mean, it was, it was kind of miserable. But, it, you know, after a while, like, days just kind of kind of blend together and they go like that. But I was 12 days in that room. And then when I got out, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drive home. And I drove all the way from Vegas to Florida. I mean, insane. It's very unfortunate. Obviously, Paul Felder also got COVID. And, I mean, it's a much nicer way just to see you guys come out to Abu Dhabi. And it's insane. Just watching the fights, it was with you there as a coach and just watching you on looking for a fight. It was absolutely fantastic to see just you bring, like, a whole new dynamic to the whole uh, atmosphere, almost. 
Well, uh, I got to make a correction. Paul Felder actually did not get oh. COVID. Oh, yeah. Actually, what, so what happened was I had it, and we sat next to each other on the plane. Oh, if I'm not mistaken, Jared Flash Gordon also had the false positive or something. Yeah. Or, 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 oh, yeah, now I remember. Yeah, Jared Gordon and John Anik had false positives. Uh, Paul Felder sat next to me on the plane, so they made him stay back for five days. So he had to quarantine for an extra five days. I felt so bad about that. So what I did was I bought him some cookies. By the time the cookies came, they cost me $100 to buy these like high-end, like ex- exquisite cookies. By the time <laughs> the cookies came, he had, he had left. So I had to eat the cookies myself. I mean, treating yourself to, you know, treating yourself yeah, to cookies I mean, ain't a bad thing. Yeah, that's what it was. I had to, it was like a treat for myself. But yeah, it was, like I said, it was it was all like such a surreal experience. Like everything right now in MMA is like brand new territory, man. I've been doing this for 25 years and, you know, I've never experienced anything like what's going on in MMA right now. It's just like everything is brand new. Yeah, it's truly, I mean, truly insane and inspirational what Dana White's been able to do and what he's able be, been able to do for the UFC and just the fight game overall. And just talking, going back to your fighter, Jillian Robertson, and just that whole circumstance where she got awarded her black belt and then the fight, I mean, truly an insane and amazing thing to witness as a fan on the outside. Just kind of run us through that whole uh, black belt story and just how working with her on Fight Island kind of uh, affected you. Well, um, so... You know, Jillian's been with me since she started martial arts, like her entire career. You know, we've been together. I mean, there was some off and ons, you know, when I, you know, throughout the process. But, you know, we're we're kind of lifers, you know, like we're from the same town. And, you know, we just, you know, we get along very well. But, um, which, is, which sounds weird because, like, we really don't even talk to each other. But, like, she's the hardest worker that I know. I mean, she's she works so hard. She's so dedicated to her craft. And, like, she... She really, she really did earn her black belt like the hard way, just like really scratching and call, crawl and clawing her way up to the top. So um, I was actually going to give it to her on her birth on my birthday, and but she wasn't in Abu Dhabi that time, and I actually wasn't even supposed to be in Abu Dhabi. I was supposed to be back home, but so when I realized I wasn't going to be home, that I had the UFC bring her out to uh, Abu Dhabi a little early so that we can continue training. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to give her her black belt here. So when I was in Vegas, I actually ordered a black belt to take to Abu Dhabi with me and um, said, yeah, she, I mean, she, I mean, she really did earn it. Like there's no one who really has done more with less. Like she really does so much in order to improve her, her circumstances as a fighter. And she's earned that black belt. And like, and anybody who questions it, just roll with her and get on the mat. Mm-hmm. I dare you. I mean, we saw it with her ground game against Pollyanna Battaglio just at, on Fight Island in the fight where um, coming in early, you could tell Jillian was shooting for that takedown heavy and it really showed that she did deserve that black belt and just kind of run us through the whole game plan for the Pollyanna fight going into it. Well, you know, I, tr- I don't treat fights like 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 there's one little game plan. You know, I, I, you know, I, look, at, I look at fights as like a football game. You know, when, you know, when it's, you know, first and... And, and 10 on your 20, you know, there's, you run a certain type of plays. When it's, you know, fourth and goal, you run a different series of plays. And that's the kind of the way I look at the fight game. You know, like we, we work on every situation and all these and all these different things that we need that we think we need to be able to do. And it and it changes from person to person depending on their strengths and weaknesses. But for the Pauliana fight, obviously, um, we knew that she she was a really strong girl and she hits really hard. So we didn't want to give her too many opportunities because I knew that 
like the only, I knew that Jillian wasn't going to get tired, but then I th- and I knew that the only way that she could really, you know, have problems in the fight is if she slowed down a bit. And like I knew she wouldn't get tired, but Pauliana hit so hard. I said, if you take too many shots, she's going to slow you down. So you can't take too many shots. So you just need to stay close to her or are angled off to where she can't really get off on you. And Jillian did that effectively. She she was able to get her down. Um, and Pauliana's ground defense was a lot better than we expected it to be. I mean, obviously, she worked on that knowing she was fighting Jillian. So we didn't get the submission like we wanted. But um, other than that, like, Jillian follows, she follows directions really well. You know, we have a good chemistry. And, you know, she 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 listens to me. She does what I ask. And, and I listen to her when she doesn't want to do it, you know. So because if she doesn't want to do it, I know it's probably something that's not going to happen. So, like, we, we have a good chemistry and a good, we communicate well together. Definitely, and you mentioned training Jillian Robertson, and uh, not to mention obviously following your split from American Top Team and training, if I'm not mistaken, individual camps and just individual fighters. Kind of run us through just working solo and preferencing working with uh, individual athletes rather than working alongside a whole, you know, gym. Well, you know, in life, you know, you're going to go through. I don't know how old you are, but you, you know, you go through many different stages in life where you start to learn about yourself and and know what you want out of life. And at this point in my life, I just knew that I, I just needed to focus on what was going to make me happy and not necessarily, you know, a paycheck. And working with people, because, you know, I take a lot of pride in what I do. I have integrity in my art. And working with people that I don't really like doesn't interest me. And, being, and, and having to do that because it's part of my job, it doesn't interest me. So it's like, you know, you show up to do your job, but if that's not what you want in life, you got a decision to make. And I made a decision. I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice and bet on myself and think that, and, and just say, I can do this on my own, you know? So I, I did. And then that's what I've been doing now. And it's just been working with people that I like and working with people that I have good chemistry and relationships with. And, 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 and everybody I work with, like I work out of my house. So it's like, I'm not going to have somebody over that you wouldn't have over your house. You know, that's just the way it is. So it's like, you know, if, if, if you have a house and like you, if you wouldn't invite a person over as a guest, then that's the type of person I'm not going to train. That's, you know, I'm not going to train that type of person if I wouldn't have them over as a guest. So, um, every, like I barely even lock my doors at the crib because, you know, I trust everybody. Cause like, that's the type of relationship that we have. And it's more, and, and I, and I enjoy training people now and I love it. And, we go to war together, kind of like a little family. So um, I'm just enjoying it now. You know, I don't, I don't I don't work with people that I don't like and I'm not showing up in corners that I don't want to be at anymore. And, and you know, and being disrespected and sleeping on hotel room floors because these guys don't want to, you know, shell out an extra hundred bucks to put the coach in a, in his own room. So, yeah, so it's it's great now. Definitely. You you mentioned keeping kind of a moral integrity and having your own kind of personal high ground and establishing what your self-worth is. And I think that's really important for people nowadays with definitely most fighters definitely trying to find out what their worth is in the modern day organizations and just kind of fishing their worth out to these organizations, these camps and seeing where they stand. And it's really nice to see that someone as prominent as yourself is is like, you know, putting yourself out there being like, you know what, this is what I'm worth. And I think that a lot more people should actually do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have to you have to know your worth and be realistic about it. Like, and there's nothing. And like for me, like I I would prefer to shoot even a little bit lower than higher. Like I never want to think that I'm more important than I am. 
You know, so I would even be more willing to shoot lower than my worth. But I know one thing: I'm not gonna let, you know, I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna get stepped on by people who I don't think should be stepping on by anybody, really. But especially people that I don't like. You know, that's really what it is. Like, I'm never gonna allow myself to be taken advantage of by somebody I don't like. Nothing is worth that for me. Like, it's not worth money. Is not, and I'm never gonna do that. So um, that's just where I stand. And and I know I know what I bring to the table. I know how hard I work to get what I want. And people who see that value will will bring me on their team. If they don't see the value, then you don't have to have me on the team. Definitely. And I mean, you mentioned training out of your house and bringing your fighters over to your house. Uh, how would you say that training camps go? Actually, like, is there specific uh, sparring partners that people actually prefer and just bringing them out? Or how would that work? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the downside of like having such a small unit is that um, you know you don't have the bodies to to work with. But but honestly, like the people that I'm working with didn't have the luxury of picking bodies anyway. You know, so they're not really suffering. Like for me, I feel like you know it's easier to find bodies now. But you know, like the people like I work with uh, Shorty Torres and Jillian Robertson and. They were always sparring partners for other people in the gym. So they never really had their choice of who they wanted to work with. They were always sparring partners. And they like, oftentimes, like even Shorty, they'd be like, Shorty, uh, don't wrestle this round, do this. And like, he's like, dude, I got to fight too. So um, now the good news is that, you know, even though um, they don't, we don't, they don't have many sparring partners, we, we have to travel to find them. And we, that's not really an issue because there are places. You know, in, in like some smaller gyms or smaller schools that that have people that are just hungry and ready to and ready to throw down. So like it's not it hasn't really been an issue for us to find people to train with, people to spar with. Um, and now they can be themselves and now I can monitor their sparring and and look at what they're doing and, and you know, correct mistakes in real time as opposed to, you know, them being the sparring partner for other fighters. And now I can actually really tailor the training towards them and help them get better. Definitely. And kind of just to move on, because there is a big thing that I want to kind of uh, figure out and just the whole uh, Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington thing, because if I'm not mistaken, you do corner Tyron and just kind of run us through that whole uh, fight week, Covington versus Woodley and just kind of the whole uh, the whole circumstance with Tyron, obviously um, not to bring politics into it, but both of them two clearly distinct different messages and just kind of uh, coaching him in that corner, because you did mention earlier you came out and I'm I'm not sure who you specifically uh, told which article, but you did mention that obviously Tyron is a, a much older fighter now and that there's a point in your career where you got to kind of have that killer instinct where you don't, it's like you don't want to take the guy out to dinner when you're older, but like at 25, you got to have that killer 25 year old instinct. So kind of just run us through that camp and just obviously the outcome wasn't in Tyron's favor, but just what you were telling him throughout the week. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the same thing, man. And, and you know, I've, I've been through it, which is why I retired. I just didn't, you know, have that killer instinct to pull the trigger and bite somebody's throat, you know, and, and that, and, and while I think he still has that, he just doesn't have it when he needs to, you know, and it, you need to, it need, you need to like, cause in camp, like he's good in camp. Like he, he trains hard. He can push himself. You know, he's, he's, you know, dedicated to his, to his craft. And, but it's just when the fight comes, man, he, he allows, you know, little distractions to distract him from, from really focusing on the fight and doing what he needs to do in the fight to win it. And, um, and it's just kind of, it is frustrating, but, but I get it. I mean, it's, you know, it's no different than any other sport, like a, 
you know, a catcher having the yips, you know, it's just something you got to work through. And for him, it's hard to work through it because he's fighting, you know, like he's fighting, he fought Usman, the, you know, the guy on the number five on the pound per pound list. And then Gilbert Burns, the guy fighting for the title and then Colby, the former uh, interim champ. So it's like, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to work through issues fighting the top three guys in the world. And it's tough. So, um, you know, what he, I mean, obviously what he need, like what I would recommend him do, and that's just, he just has to compete more. Like if he wants to get through it, you got to compete more and figure out, you know, what, what your chemistry is in, in order to make it work for you. But it's hard, like I said, it's hard to do that against the best guys in the world. So, you know, we just got to sit down and figure it out. I mean, it's the same thing like with Jillian, like Jillian competed in the, um, in the, uh, submission, underground whatever that thing chael sonnen's event but she does that just to get competition experience like win or lose like we just i I have my people put themselves in uncomfortable positions whether it's competition or you know or doing you know dumb things around the around the city just to keep them uncomfortable so that they can learn how to focus on the task at hand and with tyron is difficult because you know he can't don't have that luxury of fighting or competing often. So we just got to find new ways to, to get him to recenter and focus better. Definitely. And you mentioned obviously fighting the top guys, Kamara, Usman, Gilbert, Burns, and Colby Covington. How would you say bringing your fighting pedigree, obviously have holding wins over Jens, Pulver, Matt, Sarah, and Clay Guida, just bringing that experience at, uh, into Tyron's kind of game and just giving him that insight would be beneficial because we've seen recently a lot more fighters kind of coming out and taking coaching positions, most notably for me, James Krause with, I mean, stepping in on short notice fights and coaching uh, and cornering many notable fighters such as Megan Anderson. How would you say kind of getting that uh, trans either while you're still a fighter or just having it post fight career? Like, how would you say that benefits uh, just you and just anybody who really wants to do it? Well, I've always been a, a total student to the game. There's not there's nothing in MMA that I haven't done in terms of like fighting, coaching, promoting a show. I've done it all. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't, you know, commentate. I've done everything that you could possibly do in this game, I think. Um but when you focus on coaching, there's something that has to happen. And I've always coached because, you know, I've been doing it since the late 90s and I've always had to teach people how to fight. I had to teach my training partners how to fight. So I had training partners. So I've always been in a, in a role where I had to teach people how to do this and, and motivate people. And I've always had like fight teams and stuff. But when I eliminated all the other things as far as like fighting and managing and promoting, well, I eliminated that and just focused solely on coaching, you see the game from a different lens. And when you can see the game from the lens that I see it at, you see a lot. You see how you see mistakes that people make. You see mistakes that, that like really good people make that they may be able to get away with because they're so good in other areas. And the lens that I see the game through now, it's like, man, I wasted so much time doing certain things, or I wish I was better at certain things, or or I wish I did things differently. But now I can share that with the, the fighters that I work with. And sometimes they can be resistant because the traditions that we have in MMA are old. A lot of the traditions we have are old. You know, they come from you know old old Brazilian jiu-jitsu traditions or old wrestling traditions, and they're antiquated. But now, me being in a position I'm at, I can see it and then go, "We're not doing that anymore. That's that's old." 
we need to we need to be progressive and move forward and and think a little bit faster, think better, and not do these things that these guys are doing. A lot of people are doing, and and I think that's the reason why I'm going to have success. The hard part now is getting you know is you know finding fighters to buy into it because they're so used to doing things the hard way. You know, it's like cutting weight was always done a certain way. But then now with science behind it, everybody's doing it the right way and it's it's better now. But there's a lot of things in training that people do the old way that they're just so used to that I don't think work well. But um, I think in the future, hopefully I can have a part in uh, in changing some of the way things happen in MMA. Definitely. And I think that's the beauty of most coaching nowadays and just more f- most fight camps nowadays is just finding new dynamics and new unconventional, new, not untraditional uh, tactics to kind of just implement the best game strategy for their fighters. And I think it's it's good to kind of find that early on, because I think 20 years from now with our, our current generation of fighters that we'll be seeing new things that maybe weren't around during this generation that are being implemented 20 years from now that are completely new and out of the ordinary. Well, and that's and that's one thing reason why I think that um, the big gyms are are gonna be a thing of the past. It's you know that's that's not I don't think that well one right now like it, everything had kind of like slowed down because of COVID and like you know a lot of gyms have closed and so on and so forth. But I just think that you know as fighters are making more money, you know if you're making a million dollars a fight, you're not going in the gym to be a sparring partner for a guy who's making two grand a fight. You know, that's not happening. Um, you're not going to have these big rooms full of all these guys beating each other up because that's an old school way of doing things because there was no money involved. You know, and everybody was just, you know, and nobody knew any better, just killing each other. You know, you know, Floyd Mayweather wasn't in a big room, you know, with preparing for fights, you know, in a big room with on a mat with, you know, 30 other guys sparring. No, it's very tailored towards individuals. And I think that's the direction that MMA is going now, where you're going to see people building camps around the fighters as opposed to fighters going to big gyms. It's going to be the opposite way, where it's like, um, just like in boxing, like, so we're going to tailor this camp towards this fighter, and we're going to just buy these sparring partners. Most definitely, and just kind of uh, to touch on it, just to kind of go on to the, the final points, and just kind of some interesting questions I have for you, and just about you personally. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you you do improv comedy and acting actually, and just kind of go through taking on new interests post MMA, and just kind of finding new things like new niches that interest you, and you know, kind of tagging along to them. Well, I've always I've always done improv. I've been doing improv for about ten years and acting just as long, but not as um, religious, not as religiously as I have, you know, my, the other endeavors in terms of you know martial arts. So my performance arts aspirations have always been there but since i've retired from competing you know i still now i'm able to do a little bit more in the performance arts area um and that's just it's something i love to do i'm an artist you know what can i say i'm an artist i love to create i love to take from nothing and then just see something being created from that and i think that even as a fighter that was the way i fought i always thought of myself as an as an artist and i've always thought of myself as one who you know was kind of flashy and, and wanted to you know, make it a performance and improv comedy was something that I started doing because I didn't want to remember lines of doing plays. So I just started doing improv and then, um, but now I'm doing a little bit more acting and less improv because most theaters are shut down. But, um, I'm currently right now working on a film with 
Eve Edwards. We're going to be filming it next month uh, called The Brotherhood. So, um, yeah, I just, it's something I love. And it, it actually makes me a better coach too, because when you, when you keep, when you're in an environment where you're constantly learning, you, that's one thing too, is you have to learn, you have to know how to learn and you have to know how to teach and learning and teaching are synonymous. So, and I think a lot of coaches don't get it. You know, they're just like, all right, just throw these fighters in the fire and let them emerge. But you can do, there's easier ways to do it if you really know how to teach because you know how learning works. And when you are in a classroom learning how to, how to be a better actor and you're constantly practicing acting, you take some of the same principles of acting and bring it into MMA and go, all right, it, it's learn because learning a skill is learning a skill. So, you know, me as, a, as an actor getting better at my skill, I can take them same principles and bring them over to MMA and, and be able to utilize them there. So I think it's very helpful in terms of me being a coach. Yeah, I just think that the universal nature of just being a student of the game or a student of anything you do is really important in bringing into any other aspect of one's life. And just uh, whenever, for example, you mention acting like, for bringing like the poker face or just like the game face to like the game or just how to kind of uh, analyze and microanalyze your opponent. I think it's really important to kind of bring new dynamics of regardless of MMA or not to just any aspect of life, just to kind of develop and grow as a human. And I think it's really important. I think most people do need to know that. And just to kind of go on to a final uh, fan question from me, like, cause like, this is like something I I'm really curious about just because we see the dynamic you and Matt Sarah have on the looking for a fight series and just you coming on unfiltered from time to time. Talk about like just the connection you guys have. Cause I know you guys were on the ultimate fighter together and just your favorite fight, uh, favorite moment from looking from a fight together. Um, yeah, me and Matt have such history. So, I mean, it, it goes all the way back till you know, early two thousands, really. Um, you know, Matt's roommate at the time was Rodrigo Gracie. My roommate at the same exact time was a guy, a gentleman named Paul Rodriguez. And um, back in like late 90s, early 2000s, Paul Rodriguez lost to Matt Sarah in the finals of the Abu Dhabi trials, which got um, Matt Sarah in Abu Dhabi. So like that was like our first thing. And then, you know, a few months later, maybe a year later, I compete, or it could have been vice versa, but a few months later, I competed against Rodrigo Gracie his roommate and he broke my elbow in a naga tournament so it was like you know we started off like automatically like it with you know him just you know kicking kicking our asses you know like matt you know so so we knew each other we've known each other for a long time and then in 2000 i want to say four or five me and matt actually fought so um and we had beef for whatever reason it was like we had beef i don't know why but we had beef like we were on the internet. This is like before the internet was really big anyway, but it was like, we were on the message boards and his people were roasting me. And, and yeah, for whatever reason we had beef and we fought and then we fought, it was a split decision, which they raised his hand. And then, then 10 minutes later reversed the decision. So it was like always like this crazy rivalry between me and Matt. And it wasn't until we were on in like, it was like 2006 and we went to the ultimate fighter, um, like tryouts, like the auditions. And, um, we were like walking around the mall and he was just like, Hey man, listen, let's just talk. And we just talked like, and, the, and we realized that we had a lot more in common than we had against each other. Next thing you know, we both get in the house. Next thing you know, we're roommates and then we're like best friends. And we've been like best friends ever since, since like 2006. And 
you know, and Matt, you know, he's a dear friend of mine, and I would I would shoot somebody for him. You know what I'm saying? So like, that is my boy. And to answer you, the best moments that we've had, like I always have a good time with Matt. He's always funny. He's the funniest guy I know. He's always on. But last year when we were in Abu Dhabi for the Khabib and Poirier fight. And we went to this uh, little like island that had it was like a, a reserve for like animals. Um, and there's an episode of Dana White looking forward to a fight about it. Um, and it was just the best time. It was a weird thing, but it was the best time we had. We had so much fun on this little island looking at these little animals. But uh, if you want to watch that, that's on Dana White looking forward to a fight uh, with me and Matt Sarah. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, for me, my favorite moment has got to be the Laugh Factory in the Los Angeles episode. Just you guys both. I mean, the banter was absolutely unreal. Just the laughs. It was insane. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, we have a good time, man. Like, you know, Matt, it doesn't matter where you're at or who's in the room. He's always going to be the funniest guy. I don't care what comedian is there. He's going to be the funniest guy because he's the fun. Like, even when he's with Jim Norton, Jim Norton's a you know, a mega star comedian and Jim Norton. I, and when I'm with them, it's like Jim Norton kind of like has to take a bow. Like it's just Matt is that funny. It's absolutely, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Just the, it's the sheer bromance you guys share almost. It's absolutely unreal to watch from the outset. And it's a great combination on looking for a fight. And just thank you, Dean, Dean Thomas, for coming on the podcast. I mean, absolutely fantastic speaking with you everybody i'm going to be linking dean's socials down below is there any kind of final message you'd like to give to the fans at home uh just keep just uh you know follow my stuff at dean thomas dean spelled d-i-n and uh just keep looking out man i'm i'm trying to make noise man i don't i don't really know what it is that i do in this world but (laughs) but whatever it is that i'm doing it's working for me so um just keep looking out i like to keep entertaining and i like to keep just producing good good quality people and good quality content most definitely thank you dean thomas for coming on thank you guys for watching the episode and listening if you guys enjoyed the video please be sure to like comment subscribe i'll be linking everything of dean's socials in the description down below it's me dan from dapper media guys enjoy and have a great day